God bless you guys. God bless the world, buddy. Let's go racing. This is the Loud Pedal Podcast. A very diverse cast of automobile racing characters. Slider for the lead and the win. He tagged the Cookman Drag Race to the line. Who got it? Give it to Rico. With your host, NBC Sports television analyst and part-time midget racer, it's D. Welch and Mr. Dylan Welch. Yeah, you damn right I got that out there. Oh, that stupid-ass flagman. They got a dumb-ass flagman that can't see. And an expert in only one category, food. Now, look how big those things are. Meat on the bone there and cook perfect. Well, sometimes racing, but mostly food. When you're talking a, a meal like people I'm about to die, I will ask for 15 to 20 chicken wings. It's heavy lunch, Tyler Burnett. It's episode 41 of the Loud Pedal Podcast here on Flow Racing. We are back and better than ever after uh, what we, someone would call um, a bit of a mess last week with Robert Bell. But we did, however, talk to Robert Bell somehow. We got to him, Dylan, and it was probably one of the best shows we've had all year. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's when you get a guy like Robert on there, you never really know what he's going to say. So, uh, <laughs> And he, he delivered just as expected. And he delivered yet another victory on Wednesday, June 23rd, winning his fifth sprint car race of his career at the Southern Iowa Speedway. So congratulations to the Colfax Comet, uh, Robert Ballou. I'm sure he had a lot of fun that night. The uh, Colfax Comet, Robert Bell, not Ballou. Robert, Robert Bell. <laughs> not Robert. I almost called him Robert Ball. We're going to start, <laughs> start calling Ballou the Colfax Comet and see how he likes that. <laughs> the madman. <laughs> Robert <laughs> Bell, everyone with a with a victory is uh, his fifth of his career. The Colfax Comet, Christopher's cousin. Congratulations on the win! All right, uh, who else did we have winners? Let's let's go into our Sun Dollar Restoration Hat Shakes of the Week, brought to you by Sun Dollar Restoration. Uh, Jason was texting me yesterday, but he did not give me a hat shake. Did he give you a hat shake? Two weeks in a row. What's he doing? sleeping or whatever sundollar.net is where you can find uh the information about uh their business which is um mold water fire storm restoration for your house if you need to get it fixed it will cost you nothing your insurance company will pay for it all um and sundollar restoration they're based in carmel indiana great great company check them out and they will help you I think they've actually done some work on Dylan's dad's house too, haven't they? They sure have. <clears throat> they they do a, they do a lot of work in the area, and um, they're really good at it. So check them out, sundollar.net. Here is our Sundollar Restoration Hat Shakes of the Week. Winners, David Gravel won at Husits with the World of Outlaws, and so did Aaron Reitzel on back-to-back nights. Uh, we mentioned Robert Bell already. Kerry Madsen won an Outlaws race at Jackson Motorplex. Congratulations to... The real madman, the madman, Kerry Madsen from Australia. Um, ASCS National Tour, Blake Hahn won. Um, congratulations to Blake. That is through Thursday. Did you have anything of note of any of those races, D. Welch? Uh, no, not, not really through Thursday. All right. Let's get into Friday. Brian Stanfill, I saw he won at Bloomington in the USAC Midwest Regional Midget Car Series. Jake Swanson won at Bloomington in an honoring sprint car. Corey Crabtree won at the Ohio Valley Sprint Car Association race at Atomic Motor Speedway. 
uh, actually, is it Atomic Motor Speedway? No, it's Atomic Speedway. Uh, do you? Th- so why do people do the, the 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 motor thing? Is it because of the SMI deal? Well, it's. I think that's just an old school thing. Oh, true. Well, isn't it? I guess it's the it's the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. I guess it might be just like a, paying homage to Indy. No. Could be, or just personal preference. Whoever names these racetracks. <laughs> Could be. Kerry Madsen won again with the Outlaws at Jackson. He's been really fast in the the Smoke 14 so far. Uh, looks like Chase Randall won a race in Waco, Texas. Dominic Selzy won with the ASCS National Tour as well at Skagit. Uh, Lance DeWeese, winner at Williams Grove uh, this past Friday. And then moving into Saturday, Wesley Smith won a USAC Midwest Wingless Racing Association event. Uh, let's see who else. Tyler Courtney won the USAC Silver Crown Series race at Eldora in dominating fashion. Zeb Wise, I think, was the, the spotter there. So congratulations to the boys uh, on winning a Silver Crown race at the Eldora Speedway. The SRX race that day, Smoke won. I think it's back-to-back wins for Smoke in the SRX Series, uh, but neither here nor there. Um, who else? Tanner Carrick won a Wing 360 Sprint Car race. Congratulations. Uh, Danny Wood is still winning. Uh, the oil, the oil capital racing series, uh, Danny Wood, congratulations. Jaden Rogers won a US CS sprint car race. Is that right? No, wrong one. Midwest sprint car series race. Wow. He beat Kyle Cummins at Hobstock. That's a, that should be a half stake in itself. Just beating Kyle Cummins at Hobstock. No, mm-hmm. Jaden. I mean, Jaden's good down there though, too, but you're right. Beating Kyle's a, he ought to keep that trophy or frame that check, whatever he got. Someone asked me who, like, was an up and coming non wing talent the other day, and I said Jaden Rogers. I think, I think uh, he's a phenomenal talent. I think he's been fun. He was fun to watch at Eldora, um, and and when you go to Eldora and you 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 know you hang him up on the fence, that's uh, that's that's uh, you know that's a, a lot of accomplishment there. So I think Rogers is going to be a pretty good talent here, and he's going to win some USAC races, don't you think? Yeah, I mean he's I mean he's been fast for a couple years. Um, you know, now he's, and now his actual race craft, you know, is getting better. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think he's, you know, he's definitely part of that, that next wave of, of talent, you know, of guys that, uh, are young, you know, but are, are, have the potential to be around, you know, for a while and be competitive. So he's definitely, definitely going to be a contender. There's no doubt about that. One of my favorite picks during the Lonnie Wheatley Chili Bowl pool, Jeff Wimenauer won a race over the weekend at North Vernon, Indiana, with the Indiana Race Saver Sprint Car Series. Uh, so Jeff Wimenauer, he's look for him to be in your uh, what is what's the what's the last uh, the group? What is it like a group? What's the group? group? Oh, the at large group. Yeah, Wimenauer is always a great pick in the at large group. Um, Kale Conley went back to Victory Lane at Twin Cities Raceway Park with. The Fast 410 Sprint Car Series, congratulations. Death, Taxes, and Bill Baylog winning in Wisconsin with IRA. Uh, he won at the Angel Park Speedway, so congratulations to the North Pole Nightmare. Brent Marks won at BAPS. Logan Shuhart won at Jackson with the World of Outlaws. They were racing at Jackson for it seemed like a week. Um, and then Brandon Mattis won at Tri-City Raceway. That's all I got, D. Welch. Did I miss anything? Yep. I don't think so. It's a good Besides- list. Besides Smoke winning at Tony Stewart Raceway with the Tony Stewart All-Star TQ Midgets last night um, and his Dairy Queen TQ Midget. So, yes, there is now a Tony Stewart. Is it Tony Stewart Speedway? What is 
What I where think, are they yeah, racist teaching visits there in local? I think that one was at Bartholomew County, which is like I think southern Indiana. Um I think it's Columbus. I think it's I think that's like his home track. I think it's the track maybe at the Columbus Fairgrounds or something down there. Uh but yeah, he's gotta win his own race at his own track, right? I mean, that's like, you know, they got to give him the cheated up motor and, you know, big restrictor plate, you know. Yeah, he's he's back to winning here. I mean, a couple SRX wins, he had an all-star win this year, you know, saving tires. And, you know, I think I think they rigged this SRX series just for him to win is what it seems like. I don't think I don't think so. He's just he's the best. I mean, besides Cody, you know, I mean, he's the best dirt racer in that series. So, of course, he's going to win. And Cody's, you know, Cody barely has ever driven a stock car, so, and he still almost beat Tony. So, I think that they should have let Cody race at IRP. But yeah, I agree. But Santos, Santos will be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah Santos, Santos will be, be really good there. Good there. Um, but that was that was a little bit of home turf uh, winning there from Smoke, I think. I mean, but I mean, he's good on the dirt. He's probably I don't know if he's helped test of these cars. I don't think so because. It was like Kenny Schrader and a few other guys who are not in the series. I think that helped uh, Ray Everham build those cars, but it's been a fun series. It's cool to see that they're on CBS. Uh, I know last week I watched the Pocono races with the NASCAR cup series and the SRX followed that at Eldora. So unlike IndyCar, they're actually scheduling events, you know, around NASCAR rather than during NASCAR events. So that's, that's probably smart. Don't you think? Well, we, tr- we do now that we're on NBC, that NASCAR is on NBC. The IndyCar race is always the lead into the NASCAR races. They can't really do, they're a little limited when they, the, when the NASCAR races were on Fox, but now that the NASCAR races are on NBC, they can schedule them accordingly. That makes which sense. They have done. So the, the reason why, the reason why they have scheduled competitive, you know, competing races against them was because it was on Fox, the NASCAR races. Well, I mean, if, yeah, I mean, that's a part of it, you know, I mean, it's, you know, they could get races on big NBC at the beginning of the year when NASCAR was on Fox. So they got to go wherever the NBC TV window is. So, but now that, you know, they have NASCAR, you know, they can pick and choose their scheduling a little bit easier for their benefit and for each series benefit. So that's a big part of it. But I agree. I agree. It's, it's nice that they're not over the top of each other. I think that all those, you know, IndyCar, NASCAR, now SRX, you know, live national television races should not be scheduled on top of each other. Um, you really can't control the F1 thing, even though F1 races at 7 in the morning Eastern or whatever. Um, but, like, I think that if you're going to have the big forms of auto racing, they should probably not be scheduled on top of each other. And 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 SRX and NASCAR and IndyCar, they've done a pretty good job recently. So uh, they, if you have – had a shortage of racing this season, then you're not doing it right. Let's just put it that way. Um, IMSA, you went to IMSA, and I saw there was a picture of someone who, like, sunburned themselves to, like, put a 48 oh, in their back. Yeah, That was disgusting. <laughs> yeah, I saw that, too. That's, uh, that's just some good old-fashioned Americana for you right there, the sunburn pattern. <laughs> James Johnson, uh, the, the 48, the Jimmy Johnson, uh, back in, uh, you know, IMSA. Did you have fun covering that event? Yeah, it's a, it's a six hour race. So, you know, that obviously is a unique challenge, but I get to go back there this weekend, uh, and do some more sports car racing. So, uh, but it's a cool place. Six hour race. I'd be drunk in the first hour. 
Well, you what? wouldn't have a job then. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about if I was working it. I was saying if I went to the event and I had to watch a six hour race. Oh like, yeah, most of the people I would not make most of the people probably are. Yeah, most of the people there are. <laughs> I went to a Browns game last year and I didn't make it past halftime. I was gone. I can't, re- I can't. I don't even remember the second half. I don't even remember the ride home. Well, they probably lost. Was, so, no, I think they actually won that game. <laughs> but, anyways, uh, yeah, it's it's tough, you know, especially in that heat, you know, out there. It's it's uh, it's hard to keep it in, in the Lions, you know. But yeah, anyways, for you. your sun dollar, <laughs> your sun dollar restoration hat shake of the week goes to who? I'm gonna give mine to Cody Swanson. Um, just for a, a really strong Eldora. I know he didn't didn't win either the SRX or the Silver Crown race, but um, you know, again, just doing Cody Swanson things. You know, he he gets in this SRX car and puts on a show, and and uh, you know, then jumps in the Silver Crown car and and rips around there too. I mean, nope, you know, I mean, running second to Sunshine is like you know winning best in class, basically. You know, compared to you know him at that place. I mean, he's unstoppable it's like kyle cummins at hopstot tyler at eldora right now so um but just you know hat shake to cody again for just you know being the guy that represents open wheel short track racing on the national stage and and he did everybody proud mm-hmm. yeah that's a good one by the way kyle larson won at grandview um last night we're recording recording this the day after uh we did the interview with kevin olson that you're about to uh listen to and watch Mine actually, I forgot to mention this win, but this has you know been in my head to be my hat shake for a long time now. Um, Sharon Speedway, Hartford, Ohio, winged four ten sprint cars on the off week for the All Stars. Dale Blaney won a four ten sprint car series event coming out of retirement and winning it uh, for Rich Farmer. That car looks pretty sick. That blue and black car uh, probably needs to run a little bit more, um, but. It's funny because if you watch the third episode of Chasing the Challenge with Tyler Courtney, um, the final episode of Ohio Sprint Week, you'll notice in there that at that place, uh, was it, is it Wayne County or was it Sharon? Oh, no, Sharon at that place. Sharon. Sharon. No, no, I don't think it was that, the, that place. It was actually at Muskegon where Tyler Courtney broke the track record that Dale Blaney held since uh, 2006. And I think uh, Blaney's response when I went and asked him if it hurt uh, he said, if Courtney don't win tonight, it don't mean shit because I lapped the whole field, basically. <laughs> and Courtney did not win. <laughs> uh, Peck uh, slid Basin on the last lap to win at Muskegon that night. But um, Blaney, in my estimation, and I was telling someone this the other day, is one of the best race car drivers I've ever witnessed, especially in Ohio and, and wing sprint car racing. He has so many wins. No one will ever come to as many win- all-star wins as Dale Blaney has, I don't think, and especially Ohio Sprint Week wins. Larson's going to try to chase down his, uh, his all-star wins probably for the rest of his career. But um, I just like the fact that, well, first off, he was a professional basketball player uh, for the Lakers, and he's almost seven foot tall. Um, his nickname was the low rider because he was just so much taller than everyone else, and he sat so low in the seat. And and uh, he was just fun to watch, a good guy. And um, I guess I'm saying like he's never going to race again before. He was fun to watch. Well, he won this, this past week, so congratulations to Dale Blaney, a big old Sun Dollar Restoration hat shake uh, for coming out of retirement and getting a win. Do you like that one? I do. That's a good one. The low rider, Dale Blaney, uh, wins, at, wins at Hartford. All right. Today we have Kevin Olson. 
you know this already. Kevin Olson is the by far the craziest interview, the craziest subject matter, the craziest character. Um, I put if you have a Mount Rushmore of crazy race car drivers, um, like that will say anything they want. Kevin Olson's at the top. You know, Jack Hewitt's in there. Um, you know, AJ Foyt, of course, Tony Stewart, you know. Um, there's, you know, Robert Bell, you know, not Robert Bell, Robert Blue, Robert Bell, I guess, could be in there as well. But Kevin Olson, P1, D. Welch, and the craziest mother effers to ever sit in a race car. No? Yeah, well, I agree. I mean, and even those guys you listed, I mean, KO is like a different kind of just like crazy. You know, he's just like, if you read his column in Sprint Car and Midget Magazine, you know, like he's the exact same way in person, obviously. Uh, just, you know, just neurotic and just funny and just, you know, doesn't care about anything. But, you know, the, the thing that I think, you know, maybe people that aren't familiar or as familiar with him forget is that he was a freaking amazing race car driver, you know, back in the, you know, back in the eighties the and, you know, late seventies, early eighties and stuff. I mean, he was a incredible race car driver, um, <clears throat> you know, and just has a, has a hilarious personality. So, um, he's, he's one of the, you know, one of the rare breeds that, that raced in that era that, uh, is willing to share, you know, the tales of the road, which, you know, is hilarious. And, um, you know, I was, I, I obviously had to leave in the middle of this interview because, um, you know, I had a meeting that I wasn't alerted of until I was in the middle of doing our interview, but, um, you know, he's, he's one of a kind. There's, there is nobody else like Kevin Olson. Yeah. This, this interview, actually, we started with Dylan and, Stevie Reeves is here. Stevie Reeves is also a USAC National Midget Champion, too. And we cannot, you know, forget that Stevie Reeves is one of, well, you know, is a great race car driver, too. Um, he was one of the best on the ESPN Thunder, won a lot of races. And um, he, he's on this as well. He's buddies with Kevin Olson and kind of struck up a friendship uh, with with Kevin as, as they raced. Um, listen, Kevin is 70 years old now and he's still racing. Um, he races in the Badgett Midget, Midget Series. This is He's going to tell you that this is his 11th farewell tour. So um, he's been he's been retiring for 11 years, basically. And the reason why he's doing that is to sell T-shirts. And uh, if you want a T-shirt for him, he will sign it. It'll be cheaper once he signs it. Um, and you can get those at the Chili Bowl. And they're made out of like asbestos and a few other uh, lead lined, I think. I mean, they're they're weird. But, you know, just championships. Let me just go through Kevin Olson's championships before we start joking around and messing around because – we can't get into a hole of him telling stories about Muhammad Ali and, and, um, you know, fish eating, you know, food off his nutsack. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's going to get off, it's going to get off the rails here. Uh, let's just put it that way. So he won a championship in 1997 with the Badger Midget series. He also won one in 89. He won one in 88. He won, he won a USAC national midget championship in 87. He won another Badger uh, midget series championship that same year in 87. In 82, he won a USAC National Midget Series Championship. So he has two USAC National Midget Series Championships in his career. He also has a Badgett Midget Series Championship um, in 1976. Uh, he is a champion. I mean, no one can take it away from him. He's a two-time USAC National Midget Champion. I'm saying all that stuff because he's getting ready to go off the rails here. But just do not forget how good of a race car driver he is and was. No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the whole point is that, you know, he he's known now more so for his crazy antics and, you know, showing up to Chili Bowl and practicing in an open face helmet and T-shirt, you know, but like, 
you know, he's, he was a badass back in the day. So, um, you know, I don't know. And as you said, you know, that shouldn't, shouldn't be lost on people. It should not. Wow. I couldn't get to my mute button there. Um, and Stevie Reeves, uh, just a little bit of background on Stevie Reeves. If you're, if you're new to the podcast, Stevie Reeves has been a co-host for us a couple of times on rip the fence. Um, we've done some really good interviews with him. He's actually brought on some of the cooler guests on the show, you know, Kevin Olson being one of them, but, um, like sleepy trip, you know, Stevie and I, uh, interviewed uh, sleepy trip with rip the fence. I think you were working indie or something like that. Um, one year and sleepy trip is a, a, a fantastic uh, character as well. Um, but Reeves is a USAC national midget champion in 1992 and 1993. Um, he drove for Ralph Wilkie who just passed this, uh, what was it yesterday? Now, uh, Chris Wilkie tweeted about it. So, um, the beginning of this is going to be a little bit serious because both Kevin Olson and Stevie Reeves both drove for Wilkie. And before we found out about, um, or before we got on for this interview is actually when we found out that Ralph Wilkie, Wilkie had passed yesterday morning. So there is going to be a little bit of an homage, a little bit of a, um, you know, a tribute to Ralph Wilkie that you're getting ready to hear, um, from two of his race car drivers, but Stevie Reeves, fantastic spotter. He's, he's with Christopher Bell right now. They won at Daytona at the road course this year. Um, he's been a good spotter. I think he's actually, he worked with, um, some, you know, like uh, Jimmy and a few others uh, throughout their career. Uh, he's been spotting for a long time. Yeah, I mean, he worked with Jimmy Johnson when he won championships, worked with Dale Jr. I mean, he's um, he's worked with a, with a lot of guys, and yeah, and now is with, with Seabell. So, um, again, another guy that, you know, uh, you know, is down here in North Carolina, but, you know, people – no first as a you know thursday night thunder star and now he's now he's transitioned to, to the spotting role and he had some stock car starts as well that's kind of where he uh, started picking up spotting all right let's just stop talking let's let this interview speak for itself um we will we do have to say though that this podcast the loud pedal podcast is brought to you by quick pits um no it's not sweaty pits it is quick pits you know sweaty pits like i have um, quickpits.com. I'm trying to find the read here. This is, this is terrible. Quickpits.com is your one-stop shop for over 350,000 national parts and accessories from the brands you demand. Truck, Jeep, auto, and ATV with fast free shipping to your door. Use promo code FLOWSPORTS at checkout for additional savings. That is FLOWSPORTS at quickpits.com where you can find additional savings using that promo code. All right. Let's get into our interview. KO, Stevie Reeves. They're coming up next. This is episode 41 of the Loud Pedal Podcast here on Flow Racing. Gentlemen, start your engines. The race cars tour historic. They are the ancestors of the current Indianapolis car. As we get ready for exciting USAC Dirt Car Racing. But we're not here for horses, we're here for horsepower. And we're back on episode 41 of the Loud Pedal Podcast here on Flow Racing. Big show this week. We have two of our favorite guests that we had on 
Rip the Fart and Rip the Fence. Uh, Kevin Olson, who was on multiple times, but also uh, Stevie Reeves. Two USAC champions, two great midget drivers of their era. Also very funny, very comical, and, you know, love to have a good time. Right, KO? I mean, you're all about the good time, but, you know, I think you are here to tell us some news that we unfortunately did not know about. So let's let's get that out of the way first, and let's have some fun. Yeah, I, I uh, this morning I got a call, uh, call and uh, uh, Ralph Wilkie passed away. For you know, you old timers or even the younger kids today, Ralph owned the leader card racers that won three Indy 500s. Uh, Ralph was very instrumental in getting me going racing, and, and any success I had was kind of due to him. You know, he he got me and and the son Greg uh, uh, built a car, and, and I started racing with the Wilkie boys and. Uh, we won a USAC championship and some lot of races, and uh, he was a great, great guy and uh, a good friend. And I'll tell you what, he he really uh, he really knew his racing. He had sprint cars, midgets, Indy cars. He had it all, and uh, won the 500 three time. And I know Stevie drove for him too, and knew what a great family that was. And uh, you know, just wanted to issue our condolences to the whole family because Ralph was uh, such a big impact for me, for sure. Uh, me as well. They gave me my first really big break in racing. And, you know, Ralph was uh, a pioneer for a lot of people, gave a lot of people their first breaks. Um, Mark and Greg actually were taking care of the car when I came. And it was funny, Ralph would have his own car at times and his car would beat their cars a lot of times. And it was funny. It just, uh, you know, racers would just have the wisdom. And he was one that he could go to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway or you know, some prairie or wherever, and, and he knew his way around the racetracks. And, um, you know, that, that family did so much for me and so many others that, uh, you know, my heart goes out to him. I, I hate to hear that because, you know, what a, what a guy he was. Let's let's talk a little bit more about this. So his three Indianapolis 500s uh, came with who and, and who was driving for him? Uh, well, Bobby Unser won the last one in 1968, and I believe Roger Ward – one in 1959 and 1962. Uh, you know, he had just about every, anybody and everybody drive for him through the years, and especially in the sprint cars and, and midgets, you know, everybody from Foyt to Branson to you name it, you know, drove one of his Silver Crown cars at one time or sprint cars and uh, successful in everything he had and, and, and always good, well-maintained race cars, so... Like I said, he was he was an icon in racing that uh, would be hard to be replaced. When I drove Steve, for you him, drove uh, right? yeah, Johnny Parsons was driving for him at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, sponsored by Hardee's. And A.J. Watson was still working on the car and the crew chief. And, you know, uh, just the people that they associated with was names that everybody here. You go back to your history books and it's everybody is linked to the leader card car somehow. So. A.J. Watson, they kept their car at his shop. We worked out of there when we went to Indianapolis to run at IRP in different places. And we actually, when I would go run some prairie or, or up there in Milwaukee somewhere, uh, we actually worked out of the leader card shop uh, where their business was. And it was, you know, a big honor for me because I grew up watching, you know, Kevin running their car with the Pabst Blue Ribbon and that and the Stan Fox running the two Pabst Blue Ribbon cars were like, you know, when I was a kid, that was like, awesome you'd go to Terre Haute and see those two cars and it just was like the car you wanted to be in and when I finally got to get in that car it was like such an honor because you know they had the car to beat at that time and it was a 
you know, it was just a pleasure that I got to be around that family. And, you know, that's what hurts so bad when something like this happens because they were a tight family. They did a lot of things together and, you know, that's, but they did get to spend a lot of family time because of racing. And that's one thing racing does is brings family and friends together. Yeah. Chris uh, tweeted out this morning that uh, he had passed. Um, the, there were famous cars. I mean, the, the 11, right. The, the, the white cars with the red numbers, uh, um, you know, a lot of people growing up my age probably saw those cars and saw some of the best race car drivers uh, at the time in those cars. Don't you think? Uh, de- definitely. Sure. He had a, a list of drivers that, you know, anybody would have, would have wanted to have. And, uh, you know, all of them went on to most of them anyway, went on to success with the exception of myself who, you know, uh, ended up kind of going into the gutter and, uh, uh, I'm trying to rebuild my life right now, but you know, other than me, they all made it. Well, the thing is when you go to the racetrack, (laughs) there's always a crowd around that car. I mean, when I ran my, the last Turkey night at Ascot, I came in and got out of the car and there's a big crowd around that car. You know, that was, that's the car that people wanted to see. But I noticed the crowd was always in closer when I ran it, when I used to go and be part of the crowd to stand around Kevin's, we all stood back a little bit because we never knew what was going to happen when, when Kevin got out of the car with all the shit that he does. (laughs) Yeah, we were fortunate. You guys are about to learn about this. Trust me. (laughs) We were, we were quite fortunate to win Turkey night in that car. And, for me, like I've always said, you know, that that's the biggest thing I could ever do in racing. And, you know, even if even if I'd had a chance to win the 500 or the turkey night, if they paid the same, I'm afraid I'd had to take turkey night because that was such a great event at Ascot. Yeah, Very no cool. Doubt. There's so many races like that that, again, that in our era that people don't get to see. You know, the, the Ascot turkey night, the HUD 100 at Terre Haute. Yeah, this you know, one. Yep, that one right there. Um, fortunately, I, I got to win that one, and that was one of the greatest days of my life in the Wilkie car. And and what's funny is they have it on video where I'm coming off the Ford of the Checkered, me and Stan Fox uh, banged wheels coming, and Mark Wilkie was halfway out on the track jumping up and down with his arms in the air in the middle of the racetrack. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, you just don't see that stuff no more. But, uh, no, you know, it no. was – Greg Wilkie was one of the smartest guys I ever drove for. I mean, I would get out. Tell them what the car is doing, set in the chair and wait. I knew it was going to be ready because, uh, again, that's that, that's one guy that didn't get the credit he deserved. Um, he did get put in the Midget Hall of Fame last year, which was really cool and, and well-deserved. But, uh, you know, again, that whole family's really talented, even Chris. I, I mean, he was really small when I drove, but just that whole family, anybody that touches a race car from that family just seems to make it happen. You know, Greg did it Very all, famous. too. You know, Greg – Greg built the frames and everything at first. Yep. Well, actually, you know, I think AJ Watson and him kind of, you know, figured out that first car and they had like a, a long rear sway bar on it, a, you know, crossbar on it that nobody really had at that time. And then uh, I think it really made that car exceptional, but uh, you know, they always had the, the best stuff and uh, it makes it a lot easier for guys like me for sure. Yeah. So let's, Let's um, introduce, you know, both you guys real quick before we keep going. So, um, Ko, when did your racing career start? And then maybe you can link it to when you start got hooked up with uh, Wilkie and and how that went. So, kind of your timeline through your career uh, to that point. I started racing quarter midgets actually, like most of us did. I think back in the days, you know, we ran quarter midgets uh, 
actually in the late 50s. And I, 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 won, I won a race in 1959. I still got a trophy for, you know, and you look at that and think about, you know, winning a race, you know, 60 some years ago, even though it was a quarter midget race, you know, it really kind of sets the tone for what you want to do, you know. And uh, so we ran quarter midgets. And then uh, when I got into high school, I wanted to, to, I run at Rockford Speedway in the Roadrunner division, you know, like I took my car that I, streetcar they took to school and everything and uh, uh, converted it into a, a race car and then drove it back to school, you know, but uh, that ended, uh, I had a, like an Opal Cadet, it was a 59 Opal or something like that and uh, I was running against all the big, you know, back in, in 1969 when this happened, I, you know, we had a lot of big cars back then, Cadillacs and all that and I was racing with all them and I, I was coming off the fourth turn one night, I was actually running second and uh, a guy in a Cadillac got me sideways and it flipped down the straightaway and the windshield popped out and the roof collapsed and, you know, and, uh, ended up on the front straightaway and Hugh Derry come running out. He was the promoter and he loved it. He come out with a little trophy, you know, and thought it was great. And, uh, I thought it was really cool, you know, to be able to flip and all that stuff. And, uh, I, I really was excited that I flipped. And then of course today I'd be petrified and probably in a home somewhere if that happened. But, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it was fun back then. I bought, I bought my own midget in 1970 and uh, knew absolutely nothing. And, uh, you know, had worked in a grocery store and bought a midget for the whole operation for $2,000 and then uh, went racing with the Badger Club. And uh, I was able to, you know, to, to have a little bit of success and uh, able to move on to start driving for other guys, which, you know, you had to do back then if it was pretty hard to to be a, a owner and afford it even then you know but uh so you know i was able to parlay all the the rides and everything into the wilkie ride and then from there just you know i uh i i probably run for a hundred different car owners or more probably you know and uh, all of them were 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 fun and interesting and i was thankful i could keep on going all the way up till here uh about four years ago i got a ride with Donnie Clevin here up here in Wisconsin. I'm living in Evansville right now. And, uh, he, he got a car for me and we've been, uh, we were lucky enough to win one a couple of years ago. And then, uh, we're right now still racing and second in the points actually. So, you know, we're pretty much up to date on that, but, uh, still trying. Don't let him sell you short. I watched him. I was <laughs> watching the all-star show on flow and he was running up there, run, run second most of the race there. And I think he ended up running third. And then when I talked to him about coming on the show this week, he told me that uh, he'd like to do it, but he's on suicide watch because he got beat on a green white checkered the other night. And uh, you know, so don't let him sell you short. He might've started in the fifties, but he's still getting it done today. He's, he's still we, doing uh, it you know, against all them young kids. That's impressive. Well, we, uh, I'm 70 years old now, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we, uh, Kurt Mayhill races up Sun Prairie too. He's my good buddy and he's 71. And every time we line up against each other in the heat race, we got 141 years of age between the two of us, you know, and the, the kids in front of us might have a total of like 30, you know, so it's pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty interesting. But yeah, we, we run the other night, I run Donnie's little car there that, uh, you know, we got a great little team, you know, Donnie, he, he's, he's the greatest and got, guys like Paul and Mike and Lance and, and, uh, and 
and they all work hard on this thing while I, you know, get to have all the fun. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice little deal for me, but we, we actually had motor problems the other night and couldn't figure it out. And I ended up qualifying terrible and they put us on the pole of the feature. And I kind of figured we were going to get smoked off right away, but somehow or another we stayed in the lead for 21 laps. And then we had a, they were going to, uh, had a yellow, and they were going to have a green white checker and on the restart i just i run out of talent just couldn't get going and uh, the motor didn't pull so good and we got smoked off so i was pretty suicidal yesterday i i was going to go out on the tree that i fell out of but they cut it down so i you know i couldn't i couldn't do anything i'm back i'm normal again now i'm i'm looking i'm fine you know i'm ready to go again <laughs> craziness no uh stevie reeves was just telling me that he got back into a dirt car uh for the first time and how long stevie your son's racing a micro uh out there at millbridge and you got into the the car that's paint is it still painted up like steve lewis's nine i mean what was that it's feeling like, like getting back into the car changed the color we changed the color it, changed they surprised me when he ran it last year and uh painted up like steve lewis's car to you know honor me when i won the championship and i thought that was cool when i showed up and did it and they suckered me in because i bought the car after the race for him to uh run this year so we're gonna race tomorrow night out there but uh now we went to a, a practice night and uh, my son has a, a little boy and they called and he was sick and had to take him to the care center and uh he said that you're gonna have to drive the car because we got to run the tires in i'm like i'm not running it he's like you have to run the car. We have to know where the tires are going to be for tomorrow. So I'm like, I don't even know what the gears are. So he explained it to me real quick and he left. And uh, I went out and just ran two sessions and, you know, it comes right back to you. I come in all pissed off because uh, the kid that won out there and, and wins leading the points and le wins all the races out there uh, put a straightaway on me in the hot lap session. And you just never get over the competitiveness. So I was a little pissed off about that. But uh, I had a lot of fun. Uh, didn't I I'd actually helped him a little bit. His car was way too tight and didn't realize it because he'd only run pavement most of his life. So uh, we uh, changed the stagger and everything and got him comfortable the next night. So uh, we're still working on that a little bit, getting him comfortable. But the wing, he did really good because you drive it more like pavement, which is what he'd done his whole life. So, uh, you know, I run eight laps and was able to help him out a little bit. So that kind of felt good. So uh, here we go with Kevin. This is when, when I helped you guys do some of the podcasts before, you asked me who I wanted to interview, and there was only one guy that came to my mind immediately, and it's Kevin Olson. And uh, that's why when we started to do this again, I was like, you got to have Kevin back so they can watch him because I knew there was going to be props. If you ever went back and watched Saturday Night Thunder, um, actually this month they have the one on where Kevin does the light bulbs. We'll talk about that, I'm sure. Uh, he's very well known for his light bulb. Uh, fixing company um but he's always got props he used to pull out snakes from his driving suit during interviews on on thunder and uh you know that that's the one thing about racing like i said you know when you say about racing family we have a lot of fun racing going up and down the road and doing all that but i've met a lot of people i've been racing since i was seven years old which is a long time trust me um but i've never met anybody like that guy right there and, you know, just, he, he just, you never know what to expect. You know, you, you're going to expect something because it's always going to happen. But um, I'm pretty boring these days. Stories to people. 
you try and tell stories to people and they, they don't believe you, but I saw a lot of these in real life and I'm telling you that you gotta believe this this happens. It's it's unbelievable <laughs> and, and that's what's so fun about Kevin. You know, you look I'm at pretty him boring from, these days. I've gotten old and I'm an old man. I'm pretty boring. I don't do much of anything anymore. I'm pretty quiet. Yeah, it looks that way. <laughs> yeah, right. But he, he does yeah, right. have a book and I wanna tell you. If you haven't read the book, you have to read it. I got it at the Chili Bowl when I was with him. And I sat down on the plane to start reading it on the way home from the Chili Bowl that year. And my daughter was sitting behind me because we didn't have seats together. I got about a page and a half in before I had to shut the book because I felt stupid sitting there laughing out loud by myself on an airplane. So I gave her the book. She started laughing out loud and shut the book. So let me tell you that the book's called Cages Are For Monkeys. And he can tell you a little bit more about where he got that name, but uh, it, it's it's definitely worth reading. It's I, I don't read books unless I'm interested in something, so that's like one of the seven books I've read in my entire life. And uh, <laughs> it, it's my too. You, it, it was one that I I couldn't put down because you never knew what was going to happen next. And when you traveled and was around that guy, that was the same way. You never knew what was going to happen next. He's <laughs> he's he's very entertaining and. You know, it, it's a guy that fortunately I got to be around and meet and run around with a little bit and uh, just he, he's an awesome person and a hell of a race driver on top of that. So, you know, you put both of that together and that's what you got right there. KO. Yeah, I, I will say that reading books are and mainly about learning stuff. Now, you do learn a lot of stuff, probably learn, you know, not what to do, you know, what not to do in your life uh, in this book exactly. is, is probably what you is what you uh, enjoy most about this book. Now, KO, it is a tremendous book. Stevie is correct. Like, especially if you are into comedy, into laughing, into not into all the, you know, boring, um, you know, crap that we have in the society nowadays and you want to have a little bit of a chuckle. Um, but first, tell us what this book was supposed to be named before you named it. And then tell us what the name is about. Oh, 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 yeah. Uh, the Originally, we did this book, uh, you know, with Coastal 181, and uh, we couldn't come up with a title. Uh, you know, we wanted something that was serious yet, you know, kind of meaningful and, and everything else. And, you know, after a lot of discussion, a lot of different meetings uh, through various parts of the country, actually, discussing it, we had different discussion groups and stuff. But... Uh, we finally came up with the idea that uh, I would call it uh, Yank My Doodle, It's a Dandy. And I guess they, they didn't like the, uh, the, the length of it, I suppose. I don't know. But uh, so anyway, we ended up naming it Cages Are for Monkeys, which uh, uh, when I first started racing, we didn't have roll cages. Well, they were optional, actually, in 1970. And you could run them or not run them. I bought a car, didn't have one, so we run it briefly. And uh, uh, they brought the cages in. Well, the old timers at that time did not like the cages. Most of them didn't. They they thought it would give these young, you know, punks like me too much false courage. And you know, and and kind of like the way I say today, you know, well, the cars are they're too safe. That you know, but. Uh, Back then, they, they, they didn't like cages, and I drove for a guy, and I remember when he, he pulled in one night, he had a monkey on the cage. He had to put a cage on it because at that time, USAC made them legal, and uh, 
he had a monkey hanging from it. And, you know, he, he told me, so, you know, these cages are for monkeys. And that always kind of stuck with me, you know, so uh, that's where it came from. But, uh, you know, back then it was a whole different era of, of, of these tough old drivers that had, you know, they, without the cages, whenever you flipped, you know, even when we first got the cages, it was dangerous because, you know, we had all kinds of different uh, assortments of cages back then, guys making them themselves and making them out of, you know, just mild tubing or whatever, and they'd bend over or fall off or whatever, you know, but it wasn't like it is today where these cages are pretty, uh, pretty hard to hurt. But uh, back then, you know, it was, it was, it was something where the guys just, they didn't want them. And that was, I think the thinking today would probably change, but uh, back then it was a different story. Yeah. The thinking tends to change when you, uh, well, first off, my thinking has changed because some of my friends get behind the wheel of a race car now. And I enjoy the fact that they are safer now than they ever were before. I mean, um, wasn't the line, you know, three, two, one conkles or something over there at the speedway. I mean, it was yeah. back in the day, this, this was a ruthless, ruthless sport KO. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was different. Oh yeah. I mean, Johnny Rutherford told me that, you know, that conkle was the funeral home that was up, uh, over by the USAC office actually. And, you know, back then they had the, the, the signs three, two, one, that was for breaking, you know, and if you went past the one, they figured you're going to be going to Conkle. But uh, he also told me like, whenever there was a bad wreck, they'd watch the ambulance go out of the track. And if it turned left, they were going to the Indianapolis hospital there, Methodist hospital, I think it's called. And then if they turned right, they were going to the funeral home. So it was a different, different sport back then. And uh, of course now today, Today, the cars really are quite safe, and I, I think they're too safe personally. I, I think that uh, we don't need all that stuff on them. We don't need them side panels. You know, you can't see the driver working at wheel. You know, we don't need them full face helmets because you can't see the driver. You got to make it a little dangerous or else anybody could do it. So I'm, I'm in full support of very, a uh, lot less safer cars. You know, I think, uh, I think you, you got to have it where it, it, it you know, if you flip, you got to pay the consequences. So I'm all for, I guess you can leave the cages on, but everything else got to, should go, you know. I agree with the left Matter side. Fact, hey, hold on a minute. This is right here is what I was thinking. They All race drivers, they all should look like this, you know. There's no yep. need for any other helmet than what you see right here. I mean, it, 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 this, this gives you more side vision, straight vision, you know, you got goggles to protect yourself. And other than an occasional bloody nose like Jan Opperman got one day at Eldora when he won the race and, and bled all over, you know, or, or knocking a few teeth out once in a while, this is, this is the helmet. And I propose that if I do take over racing, which there is some, there is some talk within the next couple of years that I'm going to be kind of like a, the grand poobah racing, you know, and I will be making the rules. This will be the number one deal right here, you know. And uh, uh, I started out in these, and and look how look how smart I am nowadays. You know, if I'd have had a full face helmet on, I might have had some kind of head problems. But now, you know, I've survived everything, falling out of the tree and everything. So, people that don't know thing. Kevin don't realize that he actually goes to the Chili Bowl. He he races at the Chili Bowl still, and he does it with an open face helmet, where everybody else has their closed face helmets. He he. <laughs> He really does this, and I don't know if it's true. He can answer this. I always heard the rumor that 
he wanted to run this last time without the cage at the Chili Bowl, and Emma Hahn <laughs> turned that down. But I'm not well, sure about that. But I agree with you on the left side. Dirt Shield, I like seeing the driver too myself. Um, but is, is that true? You wanted to run the Chili Bowl without a cage, which of all places with a flip count, that's not the place to do it. <laughs> well, a few years back, you know, we, we, we decided to run with a T-shirt and a and a open face helmet. Well, I always run the open face there. No, number one, I mean, you really can see better. You know, you can indoors like that. It's There's always somebody next to you. So I, I can see better. And, you know, it's lighter on your head as far as, you know, weight and everything. I had broke my neck, so I'm a little worried sometimes about, you know, having a, that heavy full face on and my head actually coming off, which is really the way I would like to go in, in auto racing. If, you know, if I, if I were to get killed in auto racing, I would love to have the head come off uh, with the full face and kind of take a couple bounces, go into the crowd, and then, you know, some, some little kid will have a souvenir that he can keep the rest of his life up on the mantle, you know. But uh, so I, so anyway, we ran the, the open face helmet and uh, we decided to run the T-shirt when I went to Emmett. And, you know, he he thought it was a great idea. And uh, so we ran the heat race and uh, it was after it was over, you know, the, the uh, his wife kind of put a, the end of that, you know, so I guess with insurance or something. So I was actually the last professional driver open wheel driver to wear a t-shirt but then then i came back the next year to emmett because you know he, he's the greatest promoter he's up for anything you know and uh, i said why don't we why don't we uh, run a car with no cage you know and uh, and you get the track real slick so the speed won't be very high and then start me on the pole and i said we might get lucky and actually win it you know but uh, and he he was kind of all for it but uh I guess, uh, like I said, I guess there was a few other people that really said, absolutely, this isn't going to happen. But it's kind of a shame because I, I really think it would have been fun. And who knows, you know, it, it might have started a trend there with, with weight and everything. You know, that cage weighs a lot, weighs a lot. They might get rid of it. Saying Emmett <laughs> is the best promoter. I, I, I agree. He's done a lot for this sport. But I remember one time during a driver's meeting when I was there that he had you handcuffed to the fence because <laughs> you had a way to break up all our driver's meetings because everywhere we went, they always said the same thing. They always told us what we already knew, and you had a way to break it up. Tell us a little bit about that and why you were handcuffed. Well, years ago, we used to get those stink bombs. They were little capsules that you step on, and they, <laughs> you know, they changed the uh, aroma of the room quite quickly and uh we found that after a while stan fox and i we bought a, a whole case of them we found that there wasn't one day in your life and not just my life but your lives too where you couldn't use one of these things somewhere you know during the day you're going to use it if it's in the store or whatever you know and uh so we used to carry them to the driver's meeting or i did stan didn't run that much at the chili bowl and uh I always got blamed for it, but it was ironic. Sammy Swindell or Kinzer and them guys would be there. And for some reason, they were always standing around me, and I got the blame. And I'm pretty sure it was either Sammy or Steve that were breaking them things at that time. So I got the blame for it. And then the next time, next year I came, Emmett handcuffed me to the, to the fence so that he could keep an eye on me, you know. And uh, 
he should have been looking at Sammy or Steve, I think. My my personal favorite story, um, you have to tell KO, and this is, you know, we're talking about the Lucas Oil Chili Bowl, which, of course, you can watch on Flow Racing uh, this winter. Um, Emmett Hahn is the promoter, um, the, the starter of the Chili Bowl. I mean, there were like 20-some cars at the first Chili Bowl, and now it's grown to being, you know, 300 to 400. Anyways, um, you guys started uh, Push Trucks on Fire, um you i think there was even didn't you even like try to like drop some kind like didn't you have a pet monkey that you were gonna like fake dropping it from like the, the tell that story <laughs> well first the the one with the with the uh, fire was is emmett emmett got this daredevil you know out of tulsa that you know he, he was about like me kind of pretty much broke and everything else and uh he was gonna light the track on fire you know and then they were gonna tow him through the uh through the fire with this uh, Camaro uh, convertible that they had got from a local car dealer. And uh, anyway, we went out and got the track going pretty good and everything, you know, and it was, it, it was, they were bringing them through, but as they were bringing them through, it kind of caught him on fire and they got him out, but the car caught on fire and kind of burned the rear fenders. This is a brand new Camaro, you know, and uh, uh, the car dealer wasn't real happy about it. But uh, so the next year, you know, uh, Emmett and I came up with the idea that, because I, I have a, a a monkey that I bring to the track with me every year. And what we had thought about doing is I wanted to have a, like a bungee jumping monkey where we would have a platform where we could go up and then have this uh, monkey bungee jump, which I thought would have been really cool and it would have been good for the kids and, and everything else. So, but the trick was, is be, we were going to have the monkey, you know, ahead of time and show the crowd and everything. But then, we, I had a, a fake one, too, that I was going to fill full of hamburger, you know, raw hamburger and everything. And then I was going to get up on the platform. And, and when the monkey jumped to have the, 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 the rubber band type thing break and then the monkey hits the ground and the hamburger comes out, you know. And uh, I really thought that would have been an entertaining thing and, and good for the kids again. You know, you got to entertain the kids. And, of course, you know, that's something they'll remember. And uh uh, again, somebody just decided that wasn't really a good idea, but I, I still to this day think it would have been great to see the uh, bungee jumping, jumping monkey that uh, had a you know failure, kind of like that uh, Dave. What was his name? Uh, uh, the evil can evil guy, Dave Super Dave. Yeah, only the monkey could yeah. be him. But, so, but that, that didn't work either. I've had so many great ideas that I just were never got into into. Uh, effect which uh was we ain't done though if i take over you, you're gonna see this you're gonna see this maybe at the pre-race at indy or whatever you know i just won't tell roger about it <laughs> yeah. emmett Hahn has a lot of gray hairs a lot of them are from you most likely um just, <laughs> just things that you did over the years um uh so Let's let's get in some more stories, Stevie, and you can help me out with some of these. You talked about the light bulb, right? I want, I I've been told that um, right now on the twenty four seven channel on FlowRacing.com, this piece of content that was created by uh, with the Thunder Series, right? ESPN, um, you know, the light Saturday bulb. Night. You used to fix broken light bulbs. Ko, can you show us how you did that? Will, will you give us your secret? Uh, tell us about your business. What is the fixing light bulb um, skit, if you will? Well, it's it started out uh, 
sleepy trip out in California has a trip electric and everything. And one day when I was out there, I remember they were trying to get light bulbs working in the, uh, in the area there. And, uh, I sat down and got looking at them real close and just figured out how we could take a light bulb because they're rather expensive, especially back then. I, I can remember, I remember a time when you'd pay anywhere from 70 to 90 cents for one bulb. And, uh, uh, so I decided we'd fix them. Well, anyway, I got it finally figured out and went back home and uh, did, did a little experiment and f- figured it out. Well, we were at uh, uh, Santa Fe Park one night for the USAC race, and it was on a rain delay. And back then, you know, they, they with ESPN, they showed the whole thing. I mean, they they uh, until they called the race, they, they just would go go live the whole time. They So they interviewed me, and we were – Larry Newber was actually the uh, announcer, and uh, – when he interviewed me, you know, he uh, he asked me about uh, what I did for a living. And, you know, I mentioned to him a few things that I did. At that time, I had had some extensive jobs that I did. Uh, at the time, I did some shoelace, uh, shoelace tip re- uh, repairing, too, uh, and uh, which was a big deal at the time. Uh, every People tied their shoes more back then, and uh, uh, I would actually re-tip these things. I had a machine that you could dip them and re-tip them and save the <laughs> consumer quite a bit of money. I mean, it was amazing the money a guy could save, the same way with the light bulbs. But so anyway, Larry asked me about it and I said, currently I was involved with Trip Electric and we I was repairing light bulbs. And it kind of went over his head, you know, and he kept talking and the guys up in the booth said, hey, wait a minute, get back to, get back to that, Larry, what, what he does, you know, because they were really interested too. I assume they were probably interested in buying stock into the company or something. So <laughs> I explained that to him. Well, anyway, it was live. And of course, at that time, went all over the world and everything. And to the, to this day, uh, there's probably not one night that, you know, when I went to Australia, New Zealand, everybody would bring me light bulbs. You know, they, they the same way here in the States, you know, people would send them to me. And and then I at the time, I would just, I would, I got them free from the electric company when you paid your electric bill, which I always made a point to pay that once a year. And uh, when I paid the electric bill, they'd give me a free pack of bulbs. Then I'd, I'd stack them in, but send whoever sent me the bulbs, I'd send them that one back and then send it, you know, freight collect and, and, and they'd have to, you know, pay for it. But uh, it's kind of stuck with me the whole time, you know, through the years. Uh, it, it, like I said, any race I go to, somebody will mention, hey, I got some light bulbs for you. So you know, and it was a very lucrative business along with the shoelace retipping and uh, I've made a comfortable living at it. Uh, uh, and I'm still still trying to trying to come up with something new all the time. <laughs> I called my daughter downstairs. I saw that episode was on and brought her down just to watch that part the other night. And uh, she was the one on the plane reading that. So, so Kevin, <laughs> when we started to do this originally, he was in a different part of the house that didn't have good connection, so he had to move. So just think all the props he would have had if he would have stayed where he originally was because he's just pulled stuff out from each side of him so far. So I'm not sure. What, I'm not exactly sure. I can only see me. I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but uh, I just see a picture of me and you, so I'm not real sure there. But anyway. Uh, you, I was you got say. to meet. Pardon me? one of the – you were one person that got to meet your all-time hero. Tell us about how you got to meet him and 
how that relationship blossomed into everything it did. <laughs> um, I'm not exactly sure, but I, I believe you're probably thinking when I went and saw Muhammad Ali. Exactly. Uh, yes. And got to be kind of friends with him uh, through the years there. And uh, when, when we were actually running at Kokomo, and of course Ali was one of my all-time idols and always will be, you know. And uh, uh, he lived up in Berrien Spring, Michigan at the time and uh, had an 80-acre farm up there that he told me uh, that Al Capone once owned. And he said it would, Al Capone said it was a chicken ranch, which... I don't know what that means, but I'm just saying that's what Ali told me. But so anyway, I decided that I had to meet this guy. It was just kind of bugging me to death. So I uh, went to Kokomo one night, and I th I'm pretty sure you were running, Stevie. I, I, I think you might have been running Wookiee's car. But anyway, this would have been in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, I had my son with me, who at the time was probably about seven years old or eight years old. And I woke up in the morning, I said, we're going to go see Muhammad Ali, you know, and of course he didn't even really know who he was, but you know, he thought it was a great idea. So I had this, uh, I had this old ranchero that I had bought that, uh, I drove and it had a, I had an old goat head that was mounted, which actually I got upstairs someday. I'll have to <laughs> take down a tour there. It's a mounted goat head. And, uh, I used to put it in the, you know, I had a hook on it where I could put it on the seat and then it had its head turned kind of like, you know, to the right. So like when you pulled up to the stop sign, he'd be looking at the guy next to you. You know, it was really cool. Like I, I said, I still got it. I wish I could show you. But so anyway, I had that in the car and I kind of forgot, you know, that maybe that wasn't exactly what you want to do to meet Muhammad. But uh, so we took off in my little, my old ranchero, which was pretty worn out. And uh, we went up to Berrien Springs and I had uh, Irish Saunders from Hoosier had told me uh, about uh, one of the, cooks at, uh, or one of the workers at Hoosier it used to be a cook for Ali at, uh, at his farm there. So I kind of remembered that name and everything else. Then I had a Quran, which was the Bible that he, the, he followed so close. And my, my uh, grandmother had an old house and in the basement one day when they were cleaning it out, I saw this thing and it was from 1860, I believe. And I thought, boy, I got to give that to Ali. So, you know, I had that with me and we went up to his place and of course we pulled up to the gate and uh you got all these little buttons you got to push you know to get a hold of the people i just started pushing buttons and pretty soon they come on and said uh you know want to know what, what i who i was or whatever and i said you know that i i uh had my son with me that i was a lifelong fan of muhammad ali and that I think what really got him though is i told him i raced USAC midgets you know and i even threw stevie's <laughs> name in there and about the time I threw Stevie's name in, all of a sudden I hear the gates open. They just swing open. It was so cool, you know. And I'm just like, you know, I told Kevin, get in the car, get in the car, you know. So we get in the car and I'm just, you know, I mean, it's all honest, it's a true story, you know. So we're, he's got a big, long, circular driveway. So we're driving down the driveway and we're, we're coming up to the front of his house. And I go to hit the brakes and I got no brakes. I mean, the, I, the master cylinder or something was out. It must have air or whatever. You know, I always had problems with everything but the car. But So I hit the brakes, and I'm pumping like crazy to try to slow it down. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to run right into Muhammad Ali's house. He don't even know who I am. 
you know, and they're probably going to think I'm the, t- t- well, I don't know if we had terrorists back then, but, you know, but anyway, the long and short of it, I did get it slowed down enough, but I couldn't make the, I got onto his lawn, you know, and just kind of pulled up and was sitting on his lawn in my car and we got out. So we walk up the door and I knock on the door, you know, and just standing there with, I was as frightened as probably Kevin was, you know, and nobody answered. And I thought, oh boy, <laughs> you know, I must have, must have scared him with my car. So, so we started walking around the side of the house and all of a sudden his wife, Lonnie, comes out of the kitchen and walks to us and says, uh, come on, come on in through the kitchen. Mohammed's in the living room. You know, and I'm, I, you know, I'm just eyes just wide open. We're walking in. We go on through the kitchen. We get in the living room. There's nobody there. And we're just standing in the middle of this living room. And uh, he didn't have air conditioning. He had just had a great big old fan, you know, in the middle. And it was hot. It was like it was in August. And it was, I bet it was probably 90, 95. And it was hot. We're just standing there for about a minute or two, you know. And all of a sudden, he just kind of appears out of nowhere. And he's got a, a robe, a no shirt on, but a robe on with, with pants, you know, and he just stands there about 10 feet away from us, just glaring at me, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking, boy, I made a huge mistake here. You know, I'm kind of holding Kevin by me and I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm the only white guy in the whole complex and he's staring at me like, (laughs) what are you doing in my living room? You know, and he's just glaring and and he started walking towards us, you know, and I mean, you know, we look like one of them guys in the, in the Abbott and Costello movies or whatever, you know, when they're in the house with the ghost or something. And he walks, he walks up to about two feet from us and stares at, then all of a sudden he just jumps at us and goes, ah, like that, you know, and starts laughing, you know, and I thought, boy, we're, we're, we're okay now, you know, but I mean, it was so cool. I mean, he, he took us into the house and into the, into the, the, his quarters there where the TV was, and he brought out a magic kit and it was doing magic for Kevin, you know, he, he wasn't really good at it, but he's doing better than I could do, you know, he was pulling stuff out of his out of his hands and, and doing all kinds of different card tricks and stuff. And then, and then he took us around. He, you know, he, I, I remember I mentioned something to him about a, a boxer that he fought and he took out a film and put it on and we sat there on the couch, you know, looking at this thing. And I mean, he couldn't have treated us nicer. You know, we, we, we showed, took us on a tour of the place of all of his, you know, he had a barn full of like trophies and all kinds of stuff. And we had lunch out at a swimming pool and then, you know, he, he wanted me to come back. So, you know, I came back about, oh, about a month later with my son and my daughter. And then we just kind of, just kind of got a little bit of a relationship there. I remember we were walking to the car and uh, to leave, I had that Camino there. And I, I tried to explain to him, you know, that I didn't mean to park there or anything, but, you know, and, and I had a, a VCR camera in them days, one of them big old heavy things. And I took it out to take a picture of him and he started doing the Ollie shuffle and, you know, it was really cool. And then, you know, he, uh, he had a bodyguard, not like a bodyguard, but he had one of his people with him, you know, and I said, well, how do I get a hold of you? And he says, I'll give you my phone number, you know, and, and so he tells that guy, to, you know, give him my phone number. And the guy looked at me like, who the hell is this clown, you know, and uh, so it worked out really good. We went, I went back about five times. And of course, when Muhammad died, I, I, I went down to the funeral, which uh, uh, down in Louisville, it was an amazing amount of people. The whole town was flooded with people. Uh, I know the funeral procession was 19 miles long, and uh, I uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to sneak into the service when they they had it at like Churchill Downs, I think, and they they had this big auditorium like thing, and when you you had to have a ticket to get in, and uh, somehow I was able to get in, and you walked down the hallway, and they had this sign sitting in the middle of the of the hallway that said. Uh, 
Muslims, they had an arrow, Muslims to the right and to the left. I don't remember what it said. It was for everybody else. And then you'd watch the service on a big, you know, a big movie screen in there. Well, you know, I got to the sign and I had, you know, I figured I had quite a bit of Muslim background uh, just by uh, giving them that book. So I, I turned right and went in and sat down in the, in the VIP section. I didn't know it was VIP, but I'm sitting there and, you know, I got Don King, about four people from me. And then uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson right ahead of me. And uh, I had some pictures of, of me and Muhammad, you know, and I kind of, cause I kind of stuck out a little bit like a sore thumb there. You know, I was the only really white guy there and I showed them and boy, after that, I was, I was a big hit then they were passing them around and uh, you know, that was really a thrill for me to be able to, to be able to be there and uh, actually part of the service. And then uh, uh, the next day when they buried him, we all were along the road and everything. And I, uh, I was standing right by the CNN cameras because I knew that when they, they had to come to a stop and turn. So I walked out onto the street when they, when he was coming by and the wind, they had like five limos in front of them. The window come down and I, and I, I was going to take a picture and it was uh, Will Smith and uh, I think Oprah or somebody in the car, you know, so I got a picture of them, you know, they were waving and it was really cool, the whole thing, you know, and uh, he was, he was really a, a big important legend to me i mean that guy was treated me like gold and he really didn't even know me other than the connection with stevie reeves so it was it was pretty cool you know that uh be able to be with a somebody that famous that's what i was Can saying I earlier like the stories that he has people wouldn't believe but there's pictures of you hey, and our, Muhammad that's, in your that's book. 100% I mean, accurate what i told you it's i know i was around during all that time and it, it really <laughs> happens i mean a lot of the stories you hear about Kevin Olson are like people think they're made up because they just don't happen, you know. And and we unfortunately we can only talk about a few of them on these shows, but the uh, the others are uh, the others are priceless. And uh, again, they happened. Well, you know, have you they have some of, some of them have been embellished a bit over the years, and uh, I've had people <laughs> tell me stories of things that I did that they were there and seen this or that. And I'm quite sure that it didn't happen that way. But there might have been some truth in it. But uh, I, I get a little more credit than sometimes than what really happened. But uh, you're uh, 70 now too. You, you get some. Yeah, things. I you know I have an image to protect. You know, I got to be careful. I've been one to, I've been one to ask you because you know you told us that story almost two years ago now. Um, did you digitize the VHS tapes? Like, can like can we see uh, some of the video of that or no? Uh, I have them. They're on that. Uh, you mean with Ali, or yeah, or just any? Yeah, I have have some. Uh, they're on them little small ones. I don't know how I convert them or whatever, but uh, I'll I'll have to dig them out because they're pretty priceless. You know, I mean, we were there at his house yeah. one time, and uh, we were standing out by the pool, and uh, the McDonald's, the head of one of the heads of McDonald's, showed up with a van, and he had a two wheeler just full of McDonald's food and everything for. You know, just, well, I wasn't the only one there. There was other people there, too. But, you know, it, it was pretty cool. I mean, people kind of, Don Landry from the Cowboys called when we were there when he was doing magic. And he kind of put him off so he could do the magic for us. I thought that was pretty cool. He blew off Tom Landry for us to do magic, you know. But, uh, yeah, it, 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 I, I'll see what I can dig up there. I, I got to send you a, a book and a T-shirt, too. I just noticed from the last time I talked to you that uh, – I was supposed to do that and I forgot, but I'll make sure I do right away. No, that's, that's no problem. Uh, 
you know, read his book. Uh, it's it's a really good book. Um, Steve, you had a you said there was a story that you he didn't tell the last time he was on the podcast about a fish tank. What what was that? Yeah, when we were going off the air last time, um, he didn't get to tell the fish tank story, and so we're not overlapping a lot of our stories. Which is the Ali story? People that didn't hear the last one, that's that's priceless. But tell us about your fish tank story. I, I mean, it's. That's another one that we didn't get to, and well, uh, it, it, it's worth it. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It's it, it, it's sometimes it's rated a little bit, not X, but uh, you know, uh, and, and it's probably good uh, uh, for a learning curve for everyone too uh, on s some types of behavior life that can project you into uh, you know b bigger and better things and sponsors and all that. But uh, when we were in New Zealand. We went to a, uh, over there, you know, the, the Yanks at that time were, were so popular that, uh, you know, the people always wanted to sleepy and Bob Tattersall made it, the Yanks, you know, almost like superhumans over to them people over there, you know. Well, then I arrived over there and uh, with Sleepy and Larry Rice was our, we were the American team and uh, we ended up winning the uh, uh, international series at that time, which was a big thing where they had the New Zealanders, the Australians and the, Americans all, we, we were there for a month and we had a series of races and, uh, but anyway, uh, so we got invited, which to, uh, one of the fans houses that had a little bit of money, you know, and he invited us. So we all went over there. And of course I had had, I think I had had some kind of a reaction to the sun or something because I drank some beer and I just didn't act exactly the way I normally would. You know, I, I think, I think that the, the uh, sun must have affected me a little because I had some beer and I was just, you know, I wasn't really thinking as straight as I normally do. But anyway, this guy had this beautiful home and he had this fish tank that was about, I never seen one this big. It had all these shiny tropical fish that cost all this money. It was about eight foot long. I remember it was really long. And uh, he was bragging about us, you know, about all these fish and how much they cost and everything. And, uh, uh, so we, we were looking at it and, and, and he, he kind of went back upstairs. Well, anyway, he also had a lot of antiques and he had one of these old phones back in the old days, you had to hand crank them to get power to them, I guess. And then, uh, you know, it'd have been from the, probably the early nineties or something. This is a long, long time ago. You know, you put the thing up to your ear and then you crank it and all that. So anyway, Buster Lenny was with me and, uh, and sleepy and, uh, I decided, and there was a lot of women there, you know, that uh, I was trying to impress because, you know, I knew they thought the Yanks were superhumans or anything. And uh, I had had a few drinks and I thought, you know, if I probably can impress these women a whole lot, if I, you know, show my how smart I am and everything. So I tried to explain to them, the women that, that how back in America, how we don't feed the fish regular food you know, by hand because you touch it, you know. So I, what I explained to him was is that how we did it is I would get up on a, a stool and then I would sprinkle this fish food on my testicles, actually, and then <laughs> dip the testicles into the fish tank. And then the fish could actually feed off of it and you wouldn't have your them touching your fingers and stuff. Well, so anyway, I uh, they didn't – they. Thought that I was just making it up just to try to impress them, you know. But uh, 
So I, I decided that I would show them in a, you know actual real live time how we did this. So like I said, this guy had this tank that was eight foot long. So I get up on this stool and I was a little shaky, but uh, I'm up there and I'm dangling my <laughs> testicles into the water. And, uh, and the girls, I think they were, they must've been really impressed or, or they were just, you know, it was a little too much for them to handle sexually because they were making all kinds of weird noises and, and almost like groans or something, you know? And I, I heard something about somebody said disgusting, but I, I don't think she was talking about me, but, uh, so anyway, I'm up there and I got my hands on the first thing and Buster, Buster grabs this phone and had two wires coming out of it. And he comes up behind me and he puts it on my testicles and cranks it like hell. And it, it was like somebody, like he got hit with a lightning bolt or something, you know, and I, I screamed and it knocked me off the chair. And as I fell, I grabbed the fish tank from the top and I pulled the entire side off of it. And this thing, I don't know how many gallons it was, but it's, you ever see that movie, The Poseidon Adventure? It, they get all get washed in by the ocean. This is kind of like what it was. It flooded like this whole basement, you know, and the, 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 it knocked me off the stool and all the sand was all over the thing and fish were flopping all over the floor, the floor, you know, and, uh, I cut my hand pretty bad on the glass when I fell and, uh, I was kind of rubbing it on my face because I was trying to clean it off and my face was all bloody and I'm laying there with my pants down around my ankles, the floor, the, the whole basement's flooded and the, the fish are flopping and the sand and the guy was a little bit upset. So like I, I just sleep. He just kind of slid out the back door real quick, and I never, we never heard from him again. I don't know if, if he was upset or that he thought that you know maybe we shouldn't have been doing that. But anyway, that was the long short of it. Uh, uh, I'm quite sure the women were impressed, although none of them actually come around me uh, on the way out. So I don't know what happened. Well, I have a fish tank that's six foot long and it's 265 gallons, so that gives you perspective of how much water was yeah, in there. But thankfully. There's no pictures of that, the beginning part of it, before you grab the glass in the book. So you, you guys are, are safe well, Buster, on that one. Buster caught me by surprise. I didn't know he was going to do that because it hurt, you know. And uh, I like bet. I said, it, this thing was the biggest fish tank I've ever seen in my life. But uh, I was really fortunate not to have, you know, suffered any, like maybe could have drowned right there in the basement and uh, with no lifeguards or any of that kind of stuff. I was really fortunate. And then, like I said, I... My face was all covered in blood, and we got back to the motel, and the Australians team had just come in, and they were all staying at the motel, and I come strolling in, and uh, my face was all bloody, and they, you know, they kind of avoided me pretty much the, the rest of the tour as much as they could. So, you know, but again, I was quite innocent. If Buster hadn't done that, it would just been another average day for you know somebody who attends a party. <laughs> all because of the sun. <laughs> that's, that's uh, well, a really good story. But uh, I, I guess just, uh, this guy also uh, had yeah, a parakeet. He had a bird too. Now that I think about it, he had a bird that was in a cage. And uh, when we first got there, I, I, I guess it was some exotic bird or something. And I took him out of the cage, and I was kind of like, like with Ozzy Osbourne, I wasn't going to hurt it, but I put it the head in my mouth or whatever, and the thing <laughs> pecked at me or something. I got scared and threw it. And if, it flew around a room and I, I think it got out of, I think, I don't think they caught it, you know, and I, he didn't know about that. His wife did though. So we got off to a bad start anyway, you know, between his fish and his bird. I, 
I did a little bit of damage, I guess. Didn't mean to. <laughs> These are just uh, some of the stories that you would get from this book. Uh, that's a good point to mention. Steve. This is a picture book. I mean, there are some pictures in there, right? Uh, yeah, quite a few, actually. There's We got the, the Ali one here that uh, maybe you can see. That's Mohammed sitting on the couch. Him and I, you know, doing a little pose there. And then uh, uh, there's quite a few pictures, actually, in it. And pretty good hit. This one here, I kind of got, I don't know if you can see that or not, but I set the world record for a golf cart. Uh, Stan Fox and I, Tom Sneva had a golf cart. I think he still does. And he was bragging about it to us one day, how he went 108.4 in this golf cart. And he said it was a world record. So Stan and I automatically got on the, uh, you know, the idea that we have to break that record. So I had a I had a, a friend of mine that uh, uh, was in the Shriners, and they have these little jets that go around the the uh, at, for the parade, you know, where they drive them around and stuff. So we took an old golf bag that I had with wooden clubs, and we tied it to the tail of the thing, which made it a golf cart. And then uh, we went out, and I had pictures. Stan took pictures of me at, at speed, and if you see this right here, at speed, Sneva went a hundred and 8.4. I don't know if you can see it or not. Anyway, I went 108.7, and uh, we took a picture of it with the speed and everything. And I sent it to Chris Economaki, and Chris Economaki put it in Speedsport News. And Sneva was was not happy. He was pissed. You know, he called Chris up and told him that that was a bunch of bullshit. That, that you know that we never did that or whatever. But we did. I mean, I. I, I'm pretty sure the uh, speed was accurate because we did it with like a, 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 a stopwatch and then I figured it out, you know, and uh, so we still hold that record as far as I know. That is, that is so great. The last one I want you to tell, and it's probably my, it's probably my favorite story in the book and I'm guessing just hundred percent factual. Um, didn't you have like a car when you were younger that was like a mosquito car or something like that? I got to put this on for this. Um, put this. See, this is the way the men did it back in the day, you know, just one little strap there. But uh, yeah, what I had, uh, we and uh, we, my friends and I, they were all like, you might call, I don't know, you know, scientists or or uh, extremely intelligent people that I hung with. And we decided to uh, make this uh, smoke machine, we called it. When I, I was in high school and, and we were gonna, the homecoming parade was coming up. And uh, I didn't participate in a lot of things in school other than, uh, uh, well, Sleepy. Sleepy gave me the idea. When he graduated Newport, him and his brother were electricians and they rigged up the, uh, their uh, their ceremony for graduation was done out on the football field on a hot day, and they rigged up the sprinkler system to come on. You know, it was time. They rigged it up so it would come on automatically at a certain time when everybody was sitting there. And I later saw that in a movie. When I don't remember the movie, but anyway, it gave me some ideas for for high school that stuck with me. And uh, for the homecoming parade, I had a car that uh, it was a '55 Chevy. And we gutted it completely with like, as far as uh, we took all the, the panels off the doors, 
we took all the headliner out, everything, so that when you hit it, we wanted it to echo, you know, in there and, you know, rattle like crazy and everything. And then we took the back seat out and we mounted a toilet in there and then cut a hole in the floor so that, like we used to go to the drive-in movies in them days, you know, and drink beer and stuff. So we never had to get out of the car or anything to go to the bathroom. You know, we never missed any of the movie because we had it right there in the car. We had a toilet. And uh, it was really a cool car. I had a, uh, my friend worked at the taxidermy and for, where they cut up a lot of deer and stuff. So we, I got one of the deer legs and I hose clamped it to the shifter. We had, you know, Mendes, you had a floor shifter. So I had a deer leg floor shifter and I thought it was really cool, but after about a week, it really smelled bad, you know, and whenever, you know, I, women always wanted to ride in this car. So whenever I had women in it, you know, that it, they'd smelled so bad, they would immediately get out. So I ended up taking that out, but still had the toilet in it. But anyway, so we hooked up this, we invented this smoke machine. It was actually a bug sprayer, like with a, it was a, a great big tank, you know, and then we put some fittings on it where you could pressurize the tank and then we run a, a, a line of oil line right into the exhaust manifold, right directly into it with a valve. And uh, you could, back then, you know, you could get oil pretty cheap. Uh, you know, a lot of times you could get it for 10, 20 cents a quart if it was like refined or something or used oil. And so we'd fill this thing with oil and then go down the road. And then when I opened the valve, it would spray raw oil into the, uh, into the uh, exhaust manifold. And it would, it would smoke so bad that like if you were going up the street one way, there's no way that the other guy coming the other way wouldn't have to pull over because you couldn't see anything. And uh, we were going to use that for the homecoming parade. Well, so I got into the homecoming parade and uh, I guess you're supposed to be in order or whatever, but I kind of just pulled in and, you know, the last, uh, kind of like, you know, the John Belushi in the animal house type, me and my friends, we pulled to the front of the line, you know, as they're going through Love's Park and I turned that thing on and it just blew oil and smoke everywhere. And then while the smoke was up in the air, I turned left and got out of there because I knew somebody was going to uh, blame me for it. So anyway, later that night, uh, later that night, we went to the drive-in, you know, the, we all sat around the drive-in at, sometimes at night and just sat around there. Well, I, I decided to smoke out the, 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 the drive-in, you know, not, not the movie, but the drive-in where you eat. So we're sitting there and I cranked this thing up and it, we, we got it to where you couldn't even see the building for all the smoke. I mean, it, it was just massive amounts of smoke. So in the meantime, a cop pulled in behind me and had his lights on, but I didn't know it because I couldn't see him, you know, in my mirror. So I pulled out onto the highway and he's got his lights going. I still didn't, I still didn't see him. Finally, I stopped at the stoplight and all the smoke cleared. And I said, oh, heck, there's a cop behind us. And he was furious. He come running up to the car. He was screaming and yelling. And, and then the police station was only about two blocks away. And he hauled me down to the police station and I had to take my car down there. And in the meantime, while they were in there interrogating, interrogating me, you know, like under the hot light and everything, I, I spilled the, everything, you know, I told him, yeah, we got this machine that, that, uh, you know, we pump oil into it and all that. And he said, well, let's go look at this smoke machine. He thought I was lying, I guess. So in the meantime, my buddies had showed up and took the thing out of the car. So it wasn't there. So we walk out to the to the car and I open the door and it's right here and then it's not there, you know. So that even pissed him off more, you know. So finally he 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 uh, he says, "Well, you get your car back when we get the machine, you know." And then, and then he wrote me out a ticket for I don't remember what it was disorderly. I think it was disorderly kind of something or another, which, which shouldn't have applied. I I didn't, you know, I don't see where it hurt anyone and you know the 
it, there's really not that much pollution in smoke or, you know, all that. So I don't think that would have hurt anything. But anyway, long and short of it is I had to leave my car there. Well, about six days later, all three of the four tires went flat and all my cars leaked oil because they were, you know, all junk motors and oil leaked all over the, the, the police station out in the parking lot there. And they called me up and they said, come and get this piece of junk out of here now, you know, but you're still going to court. So I, I went to court and the judge, you know, he kind of liked the story, actually, I think, you know, he, I thought I'd see him laughing a little bit, but anyway, he, he sentenced me to uh, having to wash all the squad cars in Loves Park, you know, and uh, pay for it, like go to the car wash and pay for it. Back then it was a quarter car wash, you know, and I tried to get him to lower the, you know, just me washing them by hand, but he wouldn't do it. And uh, so I had to wash all the squad cars and then I got my car back anyway. But uh, the funny part was, is they were so mad. They never even noticed I didn't have any license on it. Cause you know, back then I only had one set of plates and about five cars. So, you know, it was, it was uh, again, you know, it's just what most people sometime in life probably do and nobody even hears about it. But when I did it, you know, all of a sudden people thought it was out of the ordinary, but it's just an everyday occurrence for most of the people, I think. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Steve, I think uh, it's important to mention though, that Kevin is a fantastic race car driver. He's a USAC midget champion. Um, all the jokes aside, he, he, he was still, you know, he's still a good racer. Yes, very well, much. So he, he drove for a lot of famous people. He's, you know, he's won the major races. I mean, he's won the hot. Got fired from the, Malolo, Stevie. Yeah, well, got fired that, from every ride I ever had. That's part of racing. <laughs> Actually, you're the one that kind of helped launch my career because yeah, I was trying to get in John Black's car, and he was waiting to see if you were going to drive it or not, and you ended up not driving it, and I got to get in the car and I broke the track record and. Wilkie's called me the next week after it, on the Springfield Mile when uh, I was driving John Black's car. So I got to thank you for uh, setting me up for some good rides there. You, you've been a, <laughs> you know, you've been big help to me. But another question I have: um, what really helps a lot of drivers get up and down the roads buying T-shirts? And when I bought this last Kevin Olson T-shirt that I got a couple years ago at the Chili Bowl, um, that was the fifth farewell tour, I think, shirt. Um, what, what are you on right uh, this now? Year, this year was the ninth. ninth oh, wait, no, okay. this might have been the tenth. Next year will be eleven, yeah. but next year is it. We're, you know, that's the farewell tour. That's all. You know, again, but, that, uh, that for okay, yeah, I, I I get that, but um, but the thing is, just how Kevin is, he's very, he thinks of everybody. So when you go to buy his shirts, um, you know, some people can't afford the expensive shirts. So at the Chili Bowl, he has the cheaper ones for people that are asbestos lined. Um, so he sells those at a discount rate. So, you know, if you don't have the money for the big dogs, t-shirts, um, Kevin thinks about that. And, uh, that again, that helps him get up and down the road. So, uh, he thinks of everything. So, you know, when Trump watches this, I'm sure when he's going for president in 2024, there's no doubt who his vice president's going to be after he sees how <laughs> smart and everything Kevin comes up with, cause he's, he's able to solve a lot of problems and put it in perspective. I mean, most people would think what he did was nuts um he, he actually the way he tells the story i mean he's doing services for people is what he does and oh, yeah. and uh that that's what well, makes you know, kevin so good i mean he's just he sits back and you just watch him and you just I'm can't believe what you see him but it, it, it you, you are know, uh, trust me you talk, I, you talk i've about been a fan for many years and that has i i started watching you because i saw you racing 
And then I started watching you for many other reasons. Trust me. <laughs> you know, the T-shirt thing, the T-shirt thing you were saying, I do. And I do have different deals because all my T-shirts, uh, my, my good friend, Hurricane Holden, Brent Holden in New Zealand does the T-shirts and uh, he's done T-shirts for presidents and kings and queens and, and uh, even for people like me. But the T-shirts are all asbestos and lead lined, which you can't get anymore. He still has enough of that type of material in New Zealand there that he can still make them. But with the asbestos lining, they're basically fireproof. And then, of course, the lead also, you know, they're, they're, you're not going to get an X-ray bother or anything like that. But uh, the first T-shirts we ever had, we were at the Chili Bowl and I, I didn't have, you know, a T-shirt at that time. But I went down to Walmart. And I bought the cheapest Chinese, whatever they were, T-shirts at the time. You could buy a 10-pack for like $1.50 or something, you know. But, you know, when you put them on, they tear as soon as you put them on. Or, you know, they were they were so thin that, you know, you didn't dare wash them because they'd be junk. But So I bought these from Walmart, and I and I just put a magic marker and put KO on it, you know. And uh, I sold a whole lot of those. And, uh, of course, you know, everybody I was getting at that time probably – 15 10 to 15 dollars and mine were i think mine were a dollar 97 each and if they were autographed by me then they were like a dollar 79 because on all my shirts if i if i autograph them they're i they're about 30 cents cheaper just simply because of the fact that you know they, that devalues them and uh, again i'm out there for the people and uh, if i can make you know money at it too that helps but uh yeah, I appreciate that, Steve. I really do. Well, no, no matter how long the line is for Kevin Olson T-shirts, he'll stop and he signs his name and he draws the little character. If you've ever seen the KO character, he'll do it on every single one until the last person's gone. So that tells you what kind of person he is. But you might not want to be that last person in line because you don't know what's going to come after that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a very good point. I appreciate you guys coming on. This is, it was obviously a sad day uh, to find out that Ralph Wilkie passed, um, but to tell some fun stories and relive some good memories, uh, it was a good time. And KO, uh, I know a lot of our fans are going to be at the Chili Bowl. Hopefully they stop over there and get some T-shirts. You sell like watches and stuff too, right? You got like a like a jacket. You have a bunch oh, of stuff yeah. inside. or Yeah, a couple of years ago we went to uh, actually uh, – I had a coat that I got from my neighbor. He was in, uh, he was an old German guy and he was in a concentration camp during the uh, second world war. Anyway, he gave me this coat. It was a nice big fur coat and everything. And it's really cool. You know, you can open it up like a flasher would wear or something. And we went to the uh, uh, salvation or the goodwill and all that. And I bought every bit of jewelry they had, you know, and uh, I made them a deal. Like I offered them like, I think $4 for everything they had, you know, all these watches and everything. Then I put them inside the coat. And of course, you know, at that time, people were at the Chili Bowl. They want to buy jewelry and things like that. So whenever I opened it up like that, they were just spellbound and amazed. And I, I could sell a lot of jewelry, you know, but uh, uh, I, I still have it. I'm just getting low on inventory at the moment, but. We're, we'll have something at the Chili Bowl. We're going to try to finish, you know, with Badger this year and run with hopefully be able to stay out of the hospital all year. And uh, next year will probably be it, you know. So uh, it'll be 50. This is my 50, 50, 
second year of racing at Sun Prairie. So uh, that's quite a that's quite a while. Maybe most people don't run that long, but uh, it was either that or the ultimatum was I had to get a job. So we're going to keep going, you know. And but not only racing, but winning. Farewell for. Oh, and well, winning. He's been winning, right, CV, and also his 11th farewell tour. Um, you can check out Kevin Olson at Angel Park Speedway locally and then also hopefully uh, at the Chili Bowl this year. Also, I got to say, we uh, like Stevie was saying, he hinted at you have a garage full of a bunch of shit. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to bring a camera over there at some point and, and go through all your shit. Well, you know, I'm trying to put – I've I never thrown anything away ever, you know, and I've collected a lot of stuff through the years and – uh, I'm trying to get it all organized now, and when I do, uh, we'll have to do something because there is some pretty good stuff there. I, I have a, I have a uh, octopus, a dead octopus that Howard Linney gave me years ago. That's in uh, formaldehyde or whatever that I think everyone should see, and uh, just a lot oh of lot of nice little nice little treasures, you know, that I've gotten through the years. So, yeah, we'll we'll have to do something like that. It'd be fun. We should. That would be really fun. I can only imagine. Appreciate the time. Appreciate the time, guys. It was good to talk to you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, all right? All right, man. Thanks a lot.